When Maryland officials lifted statewide mask mandates and other COVID-19 restrictions July 1, it looked like the pandemic might be, well, maybe not over, but at least suppressed by widespread vaccination. Infection, hospitalization, and death rates were down substantially across Maryland and the nation. Offices, restaurants, bars, and gyms started welcoming back those who had stayed away for so long. Older adults and people with certain medical conditions got the green light from federal and state agencies to break out of isolation and hug their loved ones. But a month later, the situation has taken a turn due to a much more contagious COVID-19 mutation called the Delta variant, now circulating widely in the United States. For public health experts, Delta represents the next grave chapter of the global health crisis, a wrench in the progress made toward returning to pre-pandemic life that could devastate the communities most resistant to getting inoculated against COVID-19. Already cases, positivity rates, and hospitalizations are rising again across Maryland and elsewhere, particularly in places with low vaccination rates. Holly Miller in the Baltimore Sun July 30, 2021. Welcome to Delmarva Today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson. My guest this morning is Dr. Michael Murphy, and we're talking about the recent growth in COVID-19 cases in Maryland and other parts of the country. Mike is an emergency medical physician and works primarily at the Peninsula Regional Medical Center in Salisbury, Maryland. And I might add that Mike is also a frequent guest on Delmarva Today. Mike, welcome to Delmarva Today. Thank you, glad to be here again. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, Mike. Thank you very much. You know, as recently as last month, primarily because of the vaccine, it seemed that things were getting back to normal. But Hallie Miller in her article in the Baltimore Sun tells us cases, positivity rates, and hospitalizations are rising again across Maryland and elsewhere due to the Delta variant. Michael, what is the Delta variant? The Delta variant is a mutation of the COVID-19 virus. I think we talked about mutations last time we were here. Um, the cons- we'd had concern at that time that mutations could be causing some future problems. Uh, so this is basically a mutation of the original COVID-19 virus that, uh, that we saw last year. Do we have any sense of, of why it's uh, so more contagious or virulent? From what I've read, the spike protein, which is the protein that allows it to attach to cells, uh, just does a much better job of that attachment and allowing uh, entry of the um, viruses, uh, allowing entry of the virus into the host cells. 
why does it seem to be affecting younger people now than than, than the other variant uh, previously? Uh, well, I think what you're seeing most likely is because that's the uh, group that's not vaccinated. Uh, the elderly have done a good job. I think I saw close to 80% of people over the age of 65 have gotten their vaccines. And so, yeah, you're going to see this more in the unvaccinated population. Miller says that positivity rates, hospitalizations and cases are, uh, are rising uh, again uh, across Maryland. What's happening in Wicomico County and, and the area that you serve? Yeah, the, vac- the number of people that are um, uh, positive, the newly reported cases, is up quite a bit, almost 10 per 100,000. That's well over the 5% threshold that we, uh, that we get concerned about. So the, the number of cases are up. So why is that, Mike? Uh, I mean, it's, a lot of it would be speculative for me to say for sure, but you have to point to the fact that the uh, rates are increased in counties that don't have very good vaccination rates. And so I would think that uh, those two things are definitely linked. Uh, the, the more people that are unvaccinated, the more chance that they're going to um, uh, contract COVID. Well, Miller writes that uh, public health experts uh, are saying that uh, the Delta variant represents the next chapter in the in the public health crisis. And Fauci, uh, Dr. Fauci, um, also I believe said that um, we need to be concerned about November and um, what we're going to be looking at in November. Um, Are they right about this? Are are you sensing the same thing um, in your area and also uh, across the country as you look at the uh, Delta variant? I mean, it's my understanding that the Delta variant is now the predominant variant uh, causing infectious problems in the United States. Uh, so I think it's accurate to say it's the next chapter in the public health crisis. In terms of what Fauci was referring to in, in November, I, I'm not 100% sure what he means. I suppose he probably means that as we move into the fall and people find themselves more indoors than we generally are in the summertime, that there's a uh, concern there could be more spread then. We're hearing a lot about uh, vaccination rates and and their relationship to COVID-19 and and the Delta variant. Talk a bit about uh, vaccinations, if you don't mind, and and why vaccinations are important. How do they, for for one, for instance, Mike, how do they work? What do vaccinations do? Well, I mean, as, um, as you know from other Vaccinations, anytime you have a communicable disease, the goal of a vaccine is to alert your native immune system to the possibility of an infection before you actually get infected by the wild virus. You know, so the vaccine is presenting you a portion of that uh, infectious uh, process, whether we're talking about polio, whooping cough, uh, measles, or mumps, uh, it, it presents your immune system with a attenuated version or a very small version. A partially killed version of that virus to allow your immune system to ramp up and recognize that invader basically uh, before the more aggressive wild virus or, or bacteria can, can present itself. And so the idea is that the vaccine shows that invader to you, 
your body's immune system uh, mounts a response and has its army ready for when the virus or bacteria actually presents itself and prevents you from becoming significantly ill from it. It looked to me as I looked at the, at the numbers that the vaccination rate uh, for Maryland, uh, for instance, is pretty good. And we're, uh, we're actually, what, sixth in the nation in terms of our, uh, of our vaccination rate, which, which seems to me to be a fairly good rate. It's almost, almost 60%. And uh, this is for people who are fully, fully vaccinated mm-hmm. with, both, uh, with both shots. And in the U.S., I believe now it's a, it's a little over 50% uh, with, with vaccination for the, for the uh, full uh, two shots. Uh, I did look at the numbers, Michael, for Wicomico County, and I, and I think it's around 42% for uh, Wicomico County. Is, it, 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 do you see that as a bit low? Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I, it is a bit low. It's a little disappointing. I mean, when you look at Howard County's over 80%, Montgomery County's over 80%. Uh, you know, to get to that herd immunity level, that immunity level that you can get to where you're protecting the even the, the weakest among us, uh, you need to get closer to 80%, 70 to 80%. And so our numbers are a little low. Yeah, I would, I'd like to see that number go up. It was interesting that I looked at um, other numbers on the Eastern Shore, and they all seem to be in, in, the, fifth, in, in the 40s, even though some in the, in the higher 40s, 48, 49 mm-hmm. maybe. But what is it, would you, would you say, of, about the Eastern Shore that, uh, that causes the numbers uh, to be a little low? Uh, I think it's multifactorial. I think part of it is uh, an, an issue of, you know, there's a difficulty accessing the medical system here. It's a rural area. You know, one of the big things that's come up is it's very difficult for people who are full-time employed to be able to take a couple of days out of their work schedule in order to get vaccinated. And, and so that can be a challenge. Uh, you also have a large segment of the population that has a mistrust of the government and any kind of process that the government may, may be involved in. Um, there's a large African-American community who has a mistrust of the medical system. And so you, you have all these things working together, I think, to keep our numbers low. You know, unfortunately, there's been a lot of politicization of this process. And you know, I, I think trying to mix politics and science, this is sort of the result of it. I mean, if, I think if people trusted science more, and weren't concerned about the politics behind it, uh, our numbers would probably be higher. I mean, you and I are both old enough to remember people that had polio or meningitis or whooping cough for these terrible diseases that we've essentially been completely, not completely, but nearly completely wiped out. And, um, you know, I think, you know, look at the, the triumph of science with vaccinations, especially with those disease processes that just used to be so devastating. You know, if people trusted the science a little more, I think we might be able to get to get that vaccination number higher. What do you think, Michael, is the effect of um, a, a spectrum of the population uh, not getting vaccinated? Uh, I mean, we've seen cases rising. We, we've seen uh, positivity rates going up. You've seen uh, increased hospitalizations. What happens 
in the in beyond this in the society when people refuse to accept a prophylactic that that will save their lives literally you know you'll you'll have a number of that population that gets sick and and will realize that they should have probably gotten the vaccine you know to me probably the bigger picture on this is that when you're not vaccinated and we can't get to the herd immunity level where we can keep people safe, uh, there are people who can't take the vaccine or there are people, even if they're vaccinated, their immune system is not modulated well. I'm thinking of people that have uh, transplanted organs, people that are cancer patients who are getting chemotherapy, those are children who's, uh, who have immune uh, issues. Those folks are the ones who benefit the most from immunizations. If everybody around them is immunized, you know, then the, the disease process doesn't have any place to house itself. And so the sickest of the sick, the weakest of the weak, those among us who need the most protection are the ones who benefit from the vaccine. Certainly the individual is going to benefit from the vaccine, don't get me wrong, because they're not going to get the disease process. But people who say, well, I'm, I'm young and I'm healthy and I don't need to worry about getting COVID, that's part of it. And that's part of the risk benefit profile you have to look at, but the benefit to the greater good to be able to say, I'm not just protecting myself, I'm protecting you know, my friend who has a kidney transplant, I'm protecting my grandmother who's on chemotherapy, I'm protecting you know, my child who has an immune process and can't mount an immune response and the vaccines won't be as effective for them. You have to think about people other than yourselves and I hope people will take that into consideration when they're weighing the risks and benefits of getting this, of getting this vaccine. It's interesting to me that we have mandated vaccinations for children. I remember uh, getting vaccinated before, uh, before I went to uh, school. Vaccinated twice, because the first one didn't take. And we've been, we've been living with mandated uh, vaccinations for years. I, 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 would, um, I would go back and say um, at least uh, 70 years or more, uh, probably more. And I, and I know that there are no federally mandated uh, vaccinations that I'm aware of at this point. You may, you may know of some, but basically the states are, regulate the, um, the mandating of of, uh, of vaccinations and, and even Maryland uh, for children entering school requires vaccinations for measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox, hepatitis B and so forth. So I, I, it's really difficult to understand uh, the mandating of, uh, of vaccines as, as an issue. And let me add that even the state with the lowest vaccination rate in the, in the nation, uh, Alabama, uh, mandates uh, vaccinations for, um, for children entering school. And, and the state of Alabama says, the state of Alabama does not recognize philosophical, moral, or ethical exceptions from vaccination and uh, daycare Head Start attendees, as an example, have to be vaccinated against diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, measles, mumps, rubella, and it goes on and on. And yet, 
uh, when someone mentions the, the possibility of mandating uh, vaccinations for COVID-19, uh, there's a huge divide in the, uh, in the population. And so I, 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 guess, uh, I guess I'm wondering if, uh, if you feel that uh, the time is right for uh, mandating vaccinations now against uh, COVID, uh, COVID-19. You know, it's an interesting question. And I think you raise a very valid point about the argument against mandates because people have had mandated vaccines for their entire lives. There's not a, there's really not a living American who has not been a part of the process of mandated vaccines. My take on this is this is a new process and people are having a difficult time with it. We need to listen to them. We need to understand what their concerns are. Do our best to address those concerns, answer those questions as, as much as we can and, and, um, and, get, and get them vaccinated. Uh, I, I think if we listen to people, if we hear what their concerns are, whether it's based in a, a race-based concern regarding uh, the inappropriate actions taken in, by the medical community in the past, uh, whether it's a fiscal concern because people have to work and taking time off to get the vaccine can be difficult, whether it's uh, concerns about what people hear the vaccine may cause in terms of side effects, try to answer those questions as much as possible. And my, my preference is a carrot versus a stick. I, I would rather try to convince people to get there. But I think at some point, because of the way this vaccine is being approached by, really, I, I don't consider it to be a very large segment of the population, but a, a segment of the population is pre- presenting really false information in such a fire hose fashion that difficult to you just can't keep up with the amount of misinformation that there is. I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a mandate for the vaccine. And I think we're seeing that, particularly in places that think healthcare workers need to have that, in places that think public workers who come in contact with a number of people need to have the vaccine. I wouldn't be surprised to see a mandate sort of spread across the country. Now, it really will depend on the locale, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that in the near future. Maybe in the fall. Michael, I collected um, a number of the excuses that uh, we hear around the country mm-hmm. about why people are refusing to, to get the vaccine. And let me, let me ask you to respond to a few of those, okay. if, if you would. One is, uh, for instance, I don't want to get COVID-19 from the vaccine. Can you get COVID-19 from reasonable the vaccine? Concern. No, no, but it's a, it's a reasonable concern. I mean, if you don't have a good understanding of how the vaccine works, I, think I could see why people would be concerned about that. And the vaccine itself just has a very small part of the, uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, DNA in it, uh, actually the RNA of the, of the vaccine. And it's only the part that allows the COVID-19 to attach to a cell. It's not the active part. It's not the part that will make you sick. And so you you cannot get COVID-19 from taking the vaccine. We don't know what the long-term side effects uh, are going to be is, is another reason. And, that, and, and again, another valid concern. I would just say that these vaccines have all been put through uh, phase one, two, and three human trials. 
and found to be effective and safe uh, at this time. There hasn't been any long-term side effects that we know about because we've really only had the vaccine for about a year. I think the, the other way to consider this is we don't know what the long-term side effects of COVID infection are. And so as you uh, consider the possibility of getting the vaccine, understand that there are people who've had COVID-19 who are having sort of these long haul symptoms, whether it's trouble breathing, heart issues, uh, brain fog, um, or cognitive issues, meaning their ability to comprehend day-to-day uh, -day tasks. There's a lot of things we don't know about the long-term side effects of COVID. And so you really have to weigh the risks of that versus the benefits of the vaccine. Well, another one is uh, the vaccine might uh, hurt my uh, fertility it, it is a fear mm -hmm. of, um, of women of uh, trial-bearing age. And again, not an unreasonable thing to think about. There is no evidence that it affects fertility. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology encourages everyone, including pregnant mothers and women who are considering getting pregnant, to get the vaccine. And there's really no reason to think that the small piece of uh, RNA that is going to be recognized by your immune system is going to have any effect uh, on your individual cells. It it's, doesn't insert itself into your DNA. It, it does not become part of your DNA structure. Um, and it has, there's no evidence that I've seen that it affects fertility at all. Well, another reason is uh, I'm young and I'm healthy and I really don't need to get vaccinated. And that goes back to what we talked about before. I mean, anytime you weigh getting a vaccine, you have to weigh the risks and the benefits of that. Any medical process, you're weighing the risks and the benefits. And certainly you have your individual risks and benefits. And so if people think I'm very low risk for getting COVID and it's not going to, you know, I won't get a very serious infection. I can tell you that I've taken care of very young people who got very serious infections from COVID and young people who've died from COVID. And so the risk is not zero. And on top of that, it goes back to what we talked about before. There's a benefit to yourself to getting the vaccine, but there's also a benefit to your community getting the vaccine. You're not just protecting yourself. We're trying to get to that herd immunity stage where you're protecting the weakest among us who, frankly, that's probably the greatest benefit that we can get from vaccinating people. Another, uh, and, and the final one that I'll raise, uh, excuse is um, the vaccines only have emergency youth authorization. And uh, I, I'm going to wait till uh, there's full FDA approval. Yeah, I, so that's when you hear a lot. And the biggest thing I can tell you, as we talked about earlier, is that they've all undergone phase one, two, and three uh, human trials. And when we talk about FDA approval, I mean, the attention of the full approval is so you have a standardized process of steps, right, in order to pr prove that something's safe and effective. So it's designed for clinical trials of really unproven drugs. The FDA approval process is not designed for pandemics. That's what the EUA process is for. You have the EUA process because a pandemic becomes such a public health nuisance uh, or causes such problems for public health so quickly that the full approval process just isn't possible. So the appropriate approval process for vaccines that we have to use quickly is the EUA, the emergency use authorization. You know, if you're concerned about long-term effects, the, that full FDA process is not going to be able to consider them any more than an EUA did. I mean, the fully approved process can be done in a matter of a year or two, and you're still not going to know what's happening 10 years uh, down the road. Um, and so 
Well, there can be concerns because people say, hey, it's not fully FDA approved. And that's something that people bring up. The EUA process is what's designed to help produce vaccines in a pandemic, whereas that FDA approval, again, is for clinical trials of unproven drugs that you know you have time to wait for them to be utilized. So it's a, it's a two totally different things. And I think this is, again, one of these things that people bring up as a way to sort of avoid getting the vaccine. And to be honest, the honest answer is that EUA process doesn't mean that it wasn't, these aren't very uh, highly studied vaccines. They're still, they're still undergoing a very rigorous process. It's just much more rapid. Michael, for people who are resistant um, to the vaccine, what would you say to them? Uh, to, to try to convince them that they should accept the, um, the value and the validity of this vaccine? I guess what I would do is can just ask everybody to consider uh, talking to their physicians uh, or medical specialists that they know, or that they've known perhaps their whole lives and have had relationships with, who can give them honest answers listen to their concerns and address those concerns uh, in a way that might make them comfortable enough to get the vaccine. I think I would caution people against getting their information from social media or people who are presenting themselves as medical specialists online uh, who may not have their actual best interests at heart. Um, I think you really should listen to your uh, physician or medical specialist who can really answer those questions for you. Mike, this is a very difficult question, um, but if people are using uh, these excuses as a way of um, avoiding the vaccine simply because they don't trust the government, is, is there anything or any way we can deal with them besides a mandate to uh, get them to uh, take uh, the vaccine? What can we say to them? I don't know that. Um, I think there's a segment of the population that's not going to believe that the vaccines are safe no matter what's said or what kind of data is presented to them unless they receive that data from the source where they're getting what I consider to be maybe the misinformation that has led them to the decision they're making. So there will probably always be a segment of the population that doesn't trust the vaccine and says that they're not going to get it. I don't know if a full FDA approval is actually going to get people to change their minds and if there will suddenly be long lines if that happens. I'd like to believe that. Um, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I want to listen to people. I want to answer their questions, you know, try to get them to uh, feel comfortable with the benefits of the vaccine over the risks. But I think there will always be a segment of the population that has a, a mistrust of this vaccine and won't want to get it. Well, I, I agree with you. I think that's absolutely right. But where that puts us uh, is in the hands of the trusted advisor, people whom they trust as you alluded to, to give them true information and, and to allay that distrust of another mm -hmm. um, authority like the federal government. So what that says is we really need for uh, officials that uh, this group of the population trust 
to step forward and, and express uh, the um, value of, uh, of the vaccine. And also, I think that in light of, uh, of where uh, we appear to be going, that a mandate for the vaccine uh, may well be in, uh, in order. And, and like I said, I think we're probably headed that way once uh, the FDA grants full approval. I think you'll see more of those popping up. I, I think people are a little loath to, to bring mandates to certain uh, populations without that full approval, even though realistically, as we discussed, the, the, that approval is for a different process, for a different kind of drug, as opposed to you know, uh, something like a pandemic. But um, there will be people who will probably not get the vaccine without a mandate. Well, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. It's clear we're facing pandemic uh, fatigue, uh, but uh, it's also clear the pandemic itself doesn't get tired. Uh, vaccinations are a clear answer to staying healthy and to getting back to normal in our society. I want to thank you again for joining me today. And I want to thank all of you for listening. This is Delmarva Today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson.